Welcome into TYT's The Conversation. It is your host, Adrian Lawrence. And today I am bringing you the founder of Girls Embracing Mothers, also happens to be the author of A Knock at Midnight, Brittany Barnett. Thank you for joining us, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, Brittany, I know you've done a lot of work in kind of the um, in the space of starting foundations and really elevating issues that are really important to society but aren't getting the attention that they need. And it seems that in that journey, you found there to be a funding gap going on. Can you tell us more about it? Yes, definitely see a huge funding gap. I come into this space as a corporate lawyer who got a lot of the business expertise, but I was also a daughter of a formerly incarcerated mother. And so when I got into the nonprofit space to help girls who've been impacted by maternal incarceration, what I saw and what I've learned through research is that nonprofits ran by women of color, in particular black women in the South are among the most underfunded social justice organizations in the country. All right, and that must be extremely difficult and devastating, particularly for the mother as well as the child. And also when it comes to funding for these organizations and entities that are looking to really, again, elevate those important social justice issues to recognize that black women, women of color are not receiving the same access to opportunity. It really seems to harken back to a lot of the inequities we see in our society overall. So when you confronted that and when you saw it, did you, I guess, push back, confront it, or what did you do? Yes, well, first we just had to keep doing the work with what we had. You know, we have accomplished a lot with a little, you know, and I think that's very important for people to know that we still push forward with the work, but it is not easy, you know, and it shouldn't have to be so hard for us to serve a population that has just been multi marginalized, especially as it relates to women and girls who've been impacted by this country's criminal legal system. And so um, I know you said you continue to put in the work and to do the work. What does that entail? So with Girls Embracing Mothers, we work to truly empower girls with mothers in prison to break the cycle of incarceration and lead successful lives with vision and purpose. We partner with Texas women's prisons. We take girls to visit their moms in prison once a month. We're there for four hours. We make a four hour round trip. So the transportation, as you can imagine, is a huge cost. We also have staff that covers a curriculum, just truly trauma informed curriculum between the mothers and daughters. We really want to help break the cycle and build a bond. And our programming always involves some type of art therapy. You know, one of my favorite visits is the mothers and daughters making floral arrangements together with the most beautiful roses that, you know, that these arrangements were just gorgeous. And that, you know, is an effort to truly have this safe space for intergenerational healing. We offer a two generational model, a two gen approach, working with the mothers and daughters simultaneously. And, you know, women are the fastest growing incarcerated population. And through our work with Girls Embracing Mothers, we not only want to help prevent their mothers from going back, but we want to prevent a future generation of girls from even entering the system to begin with. Oh, absolutely. That's so incredibly important, especially just as you say, the rate of incarceration for women and girls seems to be 
increasing significantly. And so to keep people out of that carceral system is so incredibly important and providing them with the social support, the network, also just the psychological support. It sounds like you're offering is something that can truly turn around lives and make a difference. And so when it comes to the mothers that are incarcerated at the time, how do they get involved in the program? Is it something that you are connected with through county or local authorities? We actually, you know, wish there was some type of streamlined approach like that. We are able through our partnership, we've partnered for nine years with Texas Women's Prisons, and the prison lets us bring in flyers and posts in the dorms. And by now, you know, we've served hundreds of women and girls over the past nine years, truly through word of mouth from the women who are who are incarcerated here in Texas. And so our goal is to substantially increase the number of women and girls we serve because we know we're only barely you know, touching the surface. Oh, I would imagine. And so you don't receive any support from any local authorities or governmental entities? We do not, we do not. Wow. Is there a way in which that can be changed? We would hope so, you know, we've reached out, you know, hoping that we could get more government state funding, you know, one of the things is we're such a small team, you know, government funding, there's so many loops and hurdles you have to go through to even be able to request a proposal to apply. And then the reporting requirements are often strenuous, making it harder and less feasible for smaller to medium sized nonprofits like ours to even apply. You know, we've done a lot of work. We're still working through advocacy with Girls Embracing Mothers, you know, definitely thanks to the generosity of one of our partners, United Women in Faith, to be able to expand our programming, but also to just advocate for these type of funding programs from the state. You would think that this would be a priority, but one of the things we're finding and we're about to launch our campaign, Amplify Her, is that there is a huge gap and lack of data as it relates to children with incarcerated parents. Adrian, we don't even know who they are. No one's tracking this data and we feel that that's very problematic and an issue that we want to bring to the forefront so that we can serve more children. Absolutely, uh, that is very, very disheartening to hear that no one is tracking this, keeping the data to see what actually works, even though I would assume there are a lot of statistics studies out there that will actually tell us uh, essentially the ways in which we can support these children and also enhance the bond between the mother and the child while the mother is incarcerated. It just sounds like the system isn't here to support its people, which is something that we're seeing very much right now on the public stage when it comes to decision making and public policy, but I will leave it at that. In terms of this initiative that you have coming up, can you please tell us about it? Yeah, so the Amplify Her campaign, we are getting ready to launch it as we work to expand through other sites. As I mentioned, the support of United Women in Faith has been tremendous for us to be able to rally the troops, if you will, and through Amplify Her, our priority is to educate the public about the lack of data as it relates to children with incarcerated parents. Our team is doing our own research. We have reached out to the Department of Corrections in all 50 states in this country. So far, of course, we're waiting to hear back from a few, but so far only six states, prison systems track the mothers incarcerated mothers and their children, six out of 50. 
And so through this campaign, we really want to raise awareness, but we also most importantly want to center the human element. I believe that women and girls who've been directly impacted by mass incarceration should be at the center of any movement, of any work surrounding them. And so we really want to amplify their voices to help drive impactful change. Absolutely, that is something that needs to be a focal point. And so thank you for that effort. And so in terms of um, people getting involved, if there are opportunities to collaborate, uh, what are the options? Yes, definitely reach out to us. Our website is girlsembracingmothers.org. We are based in the Dallas metropolitan area. As I mentioned, we partner with Texas Women's Prisons for almost a decade now. So we're always looking for volunteers to help us go into the prisons. We have an annual summer camp. We just wrapped up our fifth annual summer camp for girls with mothers in prison. So we're always looking for volunteers with that. And as I mentioned, we are working to expand and scale. We are prioritizing other states in the South and really looking to expand the work that we do and serve more women and girls. You know, I think that when women and girls succeed, especially women and girls of color, so does society. Oh, absolutely. And I love that you're running a summer camp, you know, just to keep the kids involved because when they're not in school, you know, they can very much get lost. And so being able to give that opportunity, that is a big thing. So thank you so much for doing that. That's really cool. And I know that you put out a book through, I guess, a subsidiary of Penguin Random House, A Knock at Midnight. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah, so my book, A Knock at Midnight, A Story of Hope, Justice, and Freedom, was published through Crown and it's a memoir. It's a memoir of my life growing up in rural East Texas with a mother who had an addiction, but unfortunately was sent to prison. It's a memoir about my work as a corporate lawyer, working to free people from unjust sentences in this country. And so far through our work, you know, we've helped free dozens of men and women who are serving draconian sentences under outdated federal drug laws. And so the book A Knock at Midnight really follows my journey of awakening to injustice that happens in the court, but also the proximity to the genius behind bars and and really hoping to really push a sense of urgency for the need to truly transform this nation's criminal legal system. Absolutely. And uh, you know, since you have experience essentially having had a mother who is in the system, also you are working to give um, girls opportunities to bond with their mothers and also to hopefully stop the cycle. What would you want people to know most? I want people to know that real people are impacted by mass incarceration. I want people to understand the human element, to really feel the heartbeats and to know that whatever impacts one of us directly impacts us all indirectly. You know, and I think that there needs to be just an urgent call and rally around women and girls who've been impacted by the criminal legal system in this country. Thank you so much. And so for those viewers out there who are looking to learn more, where can they go in terms of social media and your website? Yes, Girls Embracing Mothers is on Instagram at Girls Embracing Mothers. I am on Instagram at Brittany K. Barnett and our website is girlsembracingmothers.org. Fantastic, thank you so much for all your work and for sharing this time with us. Brittany Barnett, founder of Girls Embracing Mothers and authors of an author of A Knock at Midnight. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you.
And we have some more of the conversation for you. It's Adrian Lawrence once again. This time I am joined by Democratic strategist Desiree Timms, who also happens to be president and CEO of Innovation Ohio. Thanks for joining us, Desiree. Thanks for having me. Yes, so we know that there has been a lot going on since the reversal of Roe v. Wade, and especially in areas of the South in particular. And so following the Supreme Court ruling on abortion with these recent votes kind of questioning where the future of contraception is gonna go, what do you think people should be focused on? I think people should absolutely focus on voting, right? Because what we're seeing, from the Republican base in the GOP is that they are out to attack women and people who get pregnant. They are coming for our birth control. They are coming for micromanaging how people have sex and who people choose to have sex with. And they are going to use law policy and hypocrisy to attack those rights. Oh, absolutely. It definitely seems to be the case. That's something we um, seem to wake up to with new headlines each and every day. And I think recently with South Carolina outlawing a website that would tell you how to get an abortion. Is that is that correct? We're seeing that. We're seeing here in Ohio, we have extreme MAGA Republicans who control our legislature. And as soon as Roe failed, they enacted a six week ban. We know that they are coming for plan B. Many people heard the story about the 10 year old Ohioan who needed to travel to Indiana in order to have an abortion. And we saw Republicans attack her, her credibility and her doctor. And so what is happening at the state level of across the South, across the Midwest, across states that are controlled by Republicans at all levels is pure extremism. And we have not seen the worst of it yet. We have not seen and heard the stories that are still to come since the fall of Roe. No, um, that's the scary part in part because we're seeing these stories come up uh, with the 10 year old victim of rape having to go over to Indiana for an abortion uh, with the mothers um, who are having ectopic pregnancies and unable to access care or even just have already had um, some kind of septus going on. And, and it just the stories are absolutely wild. And to think that these doctors and nurses and medical care providers won't help and assist someone until they are essentially threatening their entire lives is very, very scary. When will the Democratic Party really wake up? Because it's clear that the Republicans do not care about the health and safety of women. I think it is time for people to really lean into what's to come, right? And Democrats have to tighten up that messaging, have to tighten up what we're saying and how we get people to the polls because the Republicans have been playing a long game and they've been playing it for decades in state legislatures and state Supreme Courts and through the federal judiciary through Donald Trump packing the court with unqualified conservative judges. And now we are reaping the benefit of the havoc led by Republicans. And so it's something that we really have to lean into to make sure our people are voting um, and that we're putting people who are pro-choice in office and regardless of the D and people who are gonna stand up and do what's right for people. Because again, um, Republicans have been playing the long game. And so what we are in now is in a situation where we have to play catch up. 
Absolutely, and it does seem like a lot of Democrats out there simply are trying to abide by what I'd call as old rules. These thought that they can have gentlemen's agreements, reach across the aisle, so on and so forth. Whereas the Republicans seem to be out here pushing every envelope, breaking every law and doing what's necessary to achieve their agenda. I don't know if there is a way in which you close the gap or if the Democrats just need to be ready to take the gloves off and stop you know, pussyfooting. I think we're seeing some Democrats do just that. They're taking the gloves off, they're fighting back um, and pushing hard and coming through with different policy ideas um, in order to save the rest of us, right, from what the Republicans are doing. But that's right, it is really a different day because the Republicans, they don't believe in rules, they don't believe in laws. Um, They say that they're the party of law and order. Um, but their actions show otherwise. And so it is interesting in trying to think of like how you get creative and fighting back using the system when the Republicans are just abdicating everything that has to do with the system. So I think we are gonna see more people pay attention to state court races. Uh, We are seeing more people getting engaged in different policy issues at the state level, right? Because a lot of the powers at the states and is with state lawmakers. And so it's really important that people pay attention to what's happening in the state legislatures, these governors, State Supreme Court races, North Carolina, Ohio, uh, just to name a few, are really important this cycle. And so voting is going to be ever more important and making sure that our people are running for office. Um, You don't like who's on the ballot, get your signature and your petitions in um, and run yourself. And so uh, in addition to the whole voting and also hopefully getting out there and running the race, it also seems a matter of getting people enthused because I think a lot of people out there feel like their voices aren't being heard. Like the promises that were made to them about coming out and voting the last time are still not necessarily being fulfilled. We see that with President Biden and forgiving student loans. We are seeing people being slow on the draw to actually fulfill their promises. So what would you say to the Democratic Party in terms of getting people again to come out and to vote when it's just been a bunch of empty promises? Yeah, well, during the Biden administration, no one has had to pay a single student loan payment. So that's one thing worth voting for. I think there have been discussions to talk about student loan forgiveness on the table. And so I'm hopeful that I will be a beneficiary of such. I have a ton of student loan debt. I'm sure you do too, Adrian. Law school is not cheap. So (laughs) we definitely want to see those policies come through. But we've also been stopped by the very slim majority that we have in the the Democrats who are from red states like Joe Manchin and others blocking some of the agenda um, items such as the Build Back Better agenda that was led and amplified and championed by President Biden and the administration. Yes, uh, it's definitely very difficult. And I know so many of us would definitely like to benefit from a student loan forgiveness. But unfortunately, I'm boxed out because of income, which kind of sucks because You, I've known plenty of lawyers who are making easy six figures, but when your student loans are six figures plus, it it doesn't matter. So it just seems like the system that you can't win uh, either way. Um, But you know, and it's been great also not paying student loans. We have to believe that we can't win. I said we have to believe that we can and push policies that will help us because yes, if you have six figures plus, which I'm gonna borrow that from you from now on, in student loan debt, the payments are no joke. 
Yeah, they are. Oh my God, don't get me started. One of my colleagues went to Yale and for undergrad, and he walked out with I think like three hundred thousand dollars in loans. And then, uh, and so when he went to law school, let me tell you, the school he went to was not the highest rated school, but they gave him like a full ride. Uh, and the thing is, it's like the system has to get better in terms of meeting us where we are, because the reality is that there may be a number of us out there, especially people of color who pursued professional degrees where they need more of our presence. And yet uh, we have these golden handcuffs uh, stuck on us in part because we have so much debt that cannot be ameliorated because we don't have generational wealth. Anyways, it just seems very much to be very cyclical and the approach is taken to be um, not as nuanced as they need to be. But again, that is something that uh, hopefully the Biden administration will actually step up and address. But in terms of voting as well as people running for office, what else would you recommend people do or even that the Democratic Party needs to do in order to get more people involved and to truly make the change? Yeah, a lot of people don't understand how bills are passed into law. And so it is very important that you do not take your foot off the gas. Um, as a former Capitol Hill staffer, I also was able to see who's coming in the doors, lobbying and pushing for their issues. Um, how communities are organized around issues and that can really make change. So I think if people can focus on getting your neighbors, getting people who share issues. So Adrian and I will link up and we'll, we're gonna go to the Hill and have that meeting on student loans. <laughs> Like that's how the change happens though, right? You have to find allies um, who are suffering from the same problems because if you're having a hardship, I guarantee you someone else is having that same hardship times 10 and others. And so really coming together to push for your issues regardless of who's in power, who has the majority, who's in the minority, raise your voice about the issues that are important to you and mobilize and organize right where you are. Absolutely, and in terms of abortion and getting those changes out there so they do not continue to roll forward affecting contraception rights as well as marital rights. What else would you suggest that people do? You really have to pay attention to the state Supreme Court and state legislatures in your states because one of the things that came from that case that the Republicans did was they gave it back to the states. And so throughout history, we know when we hear states rights, that has usually been used as a tool to disenfranchise and to cripple the disadvantaged and the unheard. And so what is very important as we think about what's to come is that we raise our voice and we lean in on state legislatures. Make sure that you're voting and paying attention to who is at the state house representing you because the extremism that's coming from Texas, that's coming from Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Ohio, these are state elected officials. They're not in DC, they're up the road from you and they have just as much power to control contraception, birth control, in vitro fertilization and so much more because of what came down in Dobbs. And so pay attention to that. Absolutely, paying attention, staying invested and hopefully keeping the hope alive is something that we all need to do and invest in. And I wanna thank you so much for joining us. And can you please tell the viewers where they can find you and find more information about you? Absolutely, I'm the president and CEO of Innovation Ohio. You can visit our website, 
innovationohio.org. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tim's Desiree. Um, and I love to continue the conversation online. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Desiree Tim's founder and CEO of Innovation Ohio.